0: good morning it's good to see you this morning we are always glad to have you glad you're here thankful to God for another day week month and now nearly year that we are about to go into and so happy early New Year to you do you like to travel anybody yes me too so travel with me if you will pack up right now grab all your stuff Grab your life, all that it is, right now. Family, job, marriage, parents, school, dating, money, Christian, everything. Pack it all up, and let's go back to the first century. Take your life right now. Go back. Imagine if you were in the first century, and you were in the audience when the epistle of Hebrews was received and read for the first time. If you need a little context, our society has turned against Christianity. We've even heard that some of our brethren have died for the cause of Christ. In fact, you have probably experienced some challenges in your own life. Once people find out that you're a Christian, your life becomes harder you know people who have had their possessions taken they've been arrested and while they were off before the courts vandals and people came and took the possessions from their houses and things are getting tougher and tougher right now as we speak and they're getting closer and closer to us if you have your bibles this morning turn to the book of hebrews what would we do in such a situation well that's exactly the situation they're in in fact look at a couple of passages with me look there in chapter 10 he says this in chapter 10 and verse 32 he says but remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle Through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. There are some of us, though, who are contemplating giving up. There's been talks and people— thinking about going back to Moses' law, Judaism, or maybe just giving up altogether. The writer writes this epistle to exhort them to be faithful. Look at chapter 13. He says as much. In fact, that really frames the purpose and intention of the book. Chapter 13 and verse number 20. Now, the God of peace who brought you up from the dead or brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. This brief writing, as he refers to it, is a word of exhortation, an exhortation to be faithful. Maybe if there were one word to capture it, maybe a word we could then use as we go forward into the new year, that word would be focus. Focus, he would tell his audience, on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. He starts the book talking about Jesus. In fact, in chapter 1, he says that Jesus is superior to angels. He says that angels are ministering spirits. Jesus is divine. He's deity. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 8, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's what he says to the Son. In chapter 2, he says, Jesus was made one of us. He was made a human. He was made a little lower than the angels for at least a little while, but with purpose, to taste death for every man. Chapter 3, he says, Moses, you know him, Moses, he is a servant in the house, and he's faithful. But Jesus is the master of the house. Jesus is over the house. In chapter 4, he talks about rest or heaven, and he says, Joshua. The great military leader that followed Moses, he didn't give them rest. No, there remains a rest for the people of God, and that rest will be heaven, and that rest will be given by Jesus. Chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, he begins to talk about Aaron and his priesthood, and he makes the case that Jesus' priesthood is superior to Aaron's priesthood. That's why he had to change the law. Chapter 7 and verse 12 to 14 In chapter 10, he says, well, Jesus is also superior to the sacrifices. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. And so, Jesus, God, rolled him in flesh, and he died. He is the sacrifice. He can take away the sins of the world. And then he gets to chapter 11, and you know well chapter 11. You you would read that epistle, and you would know the individuals in that chapter immediately. You would know your Old Testament, and he would ask you then to look back on these people and focus back on them. As we do that, as we enter the new year, focus would be a really good word to maybe hold in your mind and in your heart and to focus on Jesus. Let's begin here in chapter 12, we'll take our sermon from there, these first four verses. We could certainly extend that all the way through the chapter and book, but these first four verses really emphasize the need to focus on Jesus. He begins coming out of chapter 11 with these words, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. He harkens back to chapter 11 and all of those people he has just named. All of those individuals of faith, they are the great cloud of witnesses, almost as if they're in heaven looking down, as if, not the case, but as if they were rooting them on, cheering for them. These are your your people around you, cheering for you to go forward, this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Chapter 10 and verse 35, he says about these individuals, they didn't draw back and we can't draw back. That's really how chapter 11 enters. You know, he enters chapter 11 from chapter 10, the end of it, by exhorting the brethren there to don't draw back. We are not of those, chapter 10 and verse 38, my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, he says, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back. We're not that group. We're not the ones that give up. We're not the ones that shrink. We're not the ones that draw back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the perseverance of the soul. That's how he enters chapter 11, and then he lists all of those faithful people. And he says, effectively, look at Abel, and look at Enoch, and look at Noah, and Abraham, and Sarah, and Joseph and David and all of these people, we're not the ones who draw back. They didn't draw back. And from there, he gets down to chapter 11 and verse 39, and he says, All of these have gained approval through their faith, but they did not receive the reward because God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. That's how we enter chapter 12. And the thought is, therefore, since we have been so surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, focus on them. As as you go into this, and as suffering and all of these challenges, focus on the fact that other faithful people have endured and succeeded. Focus there. Number two, same verse, second half of the verse, he says, Focus on removing obstacles. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us. Let us do what? Let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles or besets us. Focus. Lay aside every weight and sin. Being a Christian involves swimming upstream, if you will. Being a Christian is not a go-along, get-along proposition. It involves going against the current of culture, against the current thoughts and popular opinions. That's not Christianity. There's never been a faithful group of people or a faithful person who found faithfulness and popular opinion. To coincide and cohabitate one with another. Every person of faith in every culture and in every time has always been at odds with its culture. In fact, in that same chapter, go back to Lynn and look at 11 and 32 and listen to what he says about those individuals. He says in verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time will fail me if I tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. You know these people. As you go back and read their lives, were any of them Easy were any of these people popular did everybody in their society say oh we love him that's not what happened at all in fact keep reading he says these people who by faith conquered kingdoms performed acts of righteousness obtained promises shut the mouths of lions quenched the power of fire escaped the edge let me ask you this what are they doing with lions oh that's right somebody threw them in a den What are they doing? Quenching fire. Oh, that's right. Because of their faithfulness, someone threw them in the fire. To that group of people, he is saying, listen, look backward and think about what they went through. Compare it to them. Embrace what you're going through and stop letting things so easily entangle you. Some of them were sawn asunder. Some of them hid in caves. Some of them lost their lives for the cause of Christ or for the cause of God and their faithfulness. Jesus said it would happen for those who followed him, Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Peter would say it this way, gird up the loins of your mind. The Old Testament saints suffered. The New Testament saints suffered. Lay aside, he says, the sin and the weight which so easily besets you. Sometimes it's the case that you and I could be among the individuals who are easily beset. Maybe in our time, a harsh look turns somebody off. Sometimes you might get ignored. They didn't see me. You mean to tell me they didn't see me. Is it possible that they didn't? Oh, no, she he looked right at me. They're going to pretend now, I'm leaving the church. You're leaving the church because of a harsh look? You're leaving the church and the Lord because somebody didn't say hi? You're leaving the church because the elders visited you out of care and concern for your soul over which they watch? You're leaving the church because you actually thought the preacher sat down with you in mind and wrote the sermon. He's preaching at me, <laughs> they were thrown in the lion's dens. They were set. They were skirt. They were killed. His audience is also suffering difficulties. His audience is also suffering hardship, and he says, "Lay aside the sin and the weight which so easily." Besets us. Is there anything you need to let go of before we turn the calendar? Is there anything that's hindering you, weakening you, or threatening your faithfulness to God? Please let it go. Don't carry it with you into next year. Focus on letting go of removing obstacles number three still in verse one he says since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us one let us lay aside every encumbrance and sandwich so easily entangles us Two, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us what should i focus on focus on the race Three things he says in that phrase. First, he says, let us run. (laughs) Running involves interest and investment and effort. You can't run otherwise. Sometimes when people are contemplating their Christian walk, their faith to God, it's not a run. It's more of a, I'll get around to it. Have you ever run that way? I'll get around to it. It's more of a thing where eventually, that's not running. Maybe thinking about running, maybe contemplating running, but it's not running. Running is pretty unique. You'll know it if you're doing it. (laughs) He says, first, let us run. Secondly, he says, run with endurance. That's how we run. The first, let us run. Second, let us run with endurance. It is a race. It's not a sprint. It's a long race. It's a lifelong race. I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but tell me that when you became one, you had in mind, that's the rest of my life. Tell me you did not go get your sins removed for six months of good behavior on the parts of the people. Tell me you did not go to Jesus and say, now listen, we'll barter. I'll be good for a while, I'll invest a little, and if anybody acts up, I'm out. That's not, no, you, the, the, I, Matt, if, (laughs) that's what happens when 15 thoughts try to get out your mouth at the same time, that's what happens. Ephesians 5 compares our relationship with Christ as a marriage. Nobody, you and I are doing that for life with Jesus. It's a life Long commitment. That's the run. It's a run with endurance to that end. You have to stop seeking instant gratification. That's a sprint. That's three steps. That's not a run for an endurance. You have to stop measuring every step and everything you. Lift up your eyes and look long-term. I'm going to be faithful. Tell yourself, I'm going to be faithful for the next five years, 10 years, 50 years, 20 years. I will stop running for the Lord when I die. Amen. But I'm going to run it with endurance. Thirdly, run first with endurance second. And he says run the right race. He says, the race that is set before us. What's the race if you're a Christian? It's the Christian race. It's the race that ends in heaven. In this race, if you and I aren't careful, we can be sidetracked. We can get distracted. We can get entangled. Paul would say to Timothy, no soldier does that with the affairs of this life. You could, if you and I aren't careful, we could find ourselves six months from now running a different race. You and I could find us entangled in other things. You and I could find ourselves sidetracked by this or by that or take up an entirely new agenda not named Jesus. And we could give it all our attention and all of our focus and all of our time and all of our life, and then we could seek to fit Jesus in. We have to run the right race. Number four, focus on Jesus. All of the people in this book, all of the people in Hebrews chapter 11 are people they would have known. People we know, faithful people. Starting in Genesis 4 and 5 and 6 and all the way through the Bible, all the way through all of that Old Testament, and, and we can name them. There's, there's Abel and Enoch and Noah, Genesis 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. There's Abraham, Genesis 11 and 12, and on and on it goes. But he gets to chapter 12, and he says in verse 2, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the one on whom we need to focus. He will say back in chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, that Jesus became one of us. In chapter 4 and verse 15, he will say that Jesus was tempted like we are tempted and yet without sin. His point is Jesus knows what we're going through because he went through it too. And so he says in verse number two, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He wants them to focus on who Jesus is. That word fixing means to have a view with an undivided attention by looking away from every other object. I look at Jesus and nothing else. I focus on Jesus and no one else. Jesus is, he says, the author, the chief, the leader, the prince, and perfecter. Listen to this. The one who has in his own person raised faith to its perfection and so set before us the highest example of faith. What is it that he's exhorting them to? Faithfulness. From the beginning of the book to the end, you need faith, you need faith, you need faith. Chapter 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. By it, the elders obtain a good report. Through faith, we understand. On and all the way through the book. And then he gets to chapter 12, and he says, you know who is a perfect example of faith? Jesus. Fix your eyes on the one who has perfected faith you go back through the book and you listen to what he says about jesus he is divine he is the high priest he is the sacrifice for sin he's the savior he's the king he is also the perfect example of faith and he left us an example to follow fix your eyes on jesus and emulate his perfect example of faith For the next year when challenges come, when you're mistreated, when you're down, sad, sorrowful, focus on Jesus and who he is to you. The next thing he says is focus on Christ's victory. Speaking of Jesus, he says, who? Jesus. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says all of that in verse number 2. Christ, that perfect example of faith, he trusted the Father. Christ did what he did because there was joy set before him. Our Lord's plan was always to get back home. It wasn't just to leave heaven and come to earth and take on flesh. It was always to do that to get back to heaven. The joy set before him was why he endured the cross. His race, he ran it with endurance. He thought little of the shame. And he now, he reigns and he rules and he sits at the right hand of God. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, who trusted God, endured the the, the hardships, the challenges, and then triumphed. We often talk in terms of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's right. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But that's not the end of the story. That is the good news, First Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. He, he died according to the Scripture. He was buried according to the Scripture. He rose the third day according to the Scripture. That is what gives us the victory. But that's not the end for Jesus, no. Jesus, after he rose from the dead… He spent 40 days, Acts chapter 1, talking to his apostles about the kingdom. And then the Bible says in Acts 1, 9 through 11, that he went out and they looked up and they watched him ascend. It's the ascension. When he is received, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, they brought him near to the Ancient of Days, the ascension. And after he ascended, when they met him and brought him to the Ancient of Days, he was crowned, coronated, and sat down, triumphant and victorious, and there was given him a kingdom and glory and power and dominion. When did that happen? That happened after he endured the cross. After he despised the shame. And for the joy of that, he endured. When times get hard and challenges come, will you endure? Will you focus on Christ's victory? His victory is your victory if you will focus on Christ and endure. Next, stay focused on Christ's faith. How did he do that? Chapter 12 and verse number 3, the writer says, for consider him. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. He endured the hostilities, the disputes, the disobedience, the contradictions, the strife. Christ went through what the saints themselves were now suffering. And the the mental and the, the emotional stress and stressors would have been as much, if not more, than the physical. Their enemies, like his, would lie on him. Anybody ever lied on you? Anybody ever taken your kindness and turned it and perverted it into evil? You intended to do something good, you said what was true and what was right and what was helpful, and then somebody took it and said, you're an evil person with evil intentions. Now, you wouldn't defend yourself here, would you? Don't you want to set it right? Don't you want to fix it so they understand that you were really trying to do good? Don't you want to help somebody know that's not true about me? I'm better than that. I'm not that kind of person. That's what… You know what Jesus did? How would you feel if you were perfect and an imperfect person judged you? How would you feel if you were the truth and never uttered a lie in your existence and somebody lied about you? How would it feel to be holy? and to have unholy, sinful people alleging your wickedness. He endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Jesus remained faithful to the Father. John 8, 29, Jesus said, He that is with me, or he that sent me, is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Not my will, your will be done. The writer says, focus on Christ's faithfulness. Let me ask, as you go through the new year, not let me ask, let me encourage. Will you stay focused on Christ? When your faithfulness is in jeopardy, doubt, challenge, will you stay focused on Christ and his faithfulness and then emulate that? Number six, focus on your steadfastness. Look there in verse number three, the end of that verse. After he says, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, he says the reason you do that is so that you will not grow weary in your minds. Why do you need to consider Jesus so you don't grow weary? In your mind, that's really where the challenge begins. The challenge doesn't begin with the exterior persecution. The challenge begins in the mind and what we're going to do in reaction to that. It's the mind that's at challenge. It's the spirit. This is where faith is or doubt. They're both in the mind, and then they will manifest themselves in action or inaction, as the case may be. The mind is where the thinking occurs, and the thinking is where the struggle is happening. And I'm having to deal with whether or not I will or I won't. Will I keep being faithful to Jesus? Will I keep living a Christian life? That'll be thoughts in my mind. Will I keep doing what's right even in the face of being done wrong? Will I keep showing up when others don't? Will I keep saying the truth when others speak lies? When I keep doing the right thing when I'm being wrong? This is the struggle of the mind you think about those things, struggle with those things. What should you do? Consider Jesus. In fact, he gives a list of things throughout the book. If you have your Bibles, notice several things he says that would help one not grow weary in their mind and lose heart. Go back to chapter 2. Listen to what he says here in chapter 2. What will help me not grow weary in my mind and lose heart? Number one among this list, keep paying close attention to what you have believed. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression disobedience received a just penalty, how should we escape if we neglect so great, neglect so great a salvation? It was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard it. What do I need to do? Keep paying attention to the things that you have heard. Pay close attention. Chapter 3. Keep believing. Look at verse number seven. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, do not Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the day of trial in the wilderness. Wherefore, your fathers tried me, tested me, saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation. I said, they always go astray in their heart. They do not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Notice what he does. The author, the author in his day, takes them back to the Old Testament. And he says to the New Testament Christians, listen, look back here and look at the examples. Chapter 11, there's faithful examples. Chapter 3, this is unfaithfulness. Look back. You know what we would do is, we would say, look back at the New Testament church. Look at what happened to the church when A, B, C, and 1, 2, 3, when they stopped believing in Jesus, when they turned away from Him. We might read Revelations 1, 2, and 3, and, and we might read about the seven churches, and we might read about Ephesus losing her first love, and then we would exhort, look at that, and don't—that's what he's doing. He is saying, brethren, first century, look back. They didn't enter the rest. Why not? Unbelief. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. He, he comes back to them, and he says, take care, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. What do I need to do to keep from being and drifting in my mind? I need to keep believing in God. Chapter 4, I need to keep obeying. If you read the first seven verses, you will see they didn't enter the rest. Why not? Because of disobedience. They did not enter the rest, verses 5, 6, and 7, because they did not obey. What do I need to do? Keep obeying. Chapter 5, I need to keep learning. Verses 12 to 14, for and for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. He says, you should be able to be taught, but instead you need to be taught. For everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But strong meat or solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We've exhorted and exhorted and exhorted, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. And that is fantastic. I was telling somebody just the other day, Reading the Bible helps you become very familiar with the Bible. And if you're going to understand the Bible, you first need to be familiar with it. For instance, if I say, turn to the book of Genesis, you need to know where that is in the Bible. That's familiarity. If I say, well, let's look at Hosea, you need to know where that is in the Bible so we can go there. If I say, you know what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter or or in 3, in in, in, 1 Timothy 4 or 1, you need to know where the, this is how you become, you become familiar with the book. You become familiar with the contents and the individuals. You break down the book. It's 27. It's 39. You've got to be. How do you do that? you got to read the book. Nobody can really gift you that. You've got to read it. But now, having read it, you have to progress to studying it. Once you become familiar, you've got to study. Paul would write to Timothy, give diligence. You've got to put in a lot of effort. There are people who you sit with them and they will say, I don't know the Bible. What they mean by that typically is, I'm not familiar with it. I couldn't tell you the difference between an apostle and an epistle. I don't know. Well, we got to get you familiar. But then if you've been in the Lord's church and his body for years and years and years and years and years, is this the time you ought to be teaching? Is this the time that You should have now, how do I keep from being weary in my mind? He would say in chapter 5, keep learning, keep growing. You won't be wearied in your mind when trials and tribulations come if you will deepen your knowledge and your relationship with the Lord. Keep rejoicing in your forgiveness. That's chapter 8. Keep rejoicing in your forgiveness. Jesus came to forgive, and he did. Chapter 8 and verse number 12, this new commandment, this new covenant, the the writer of the book says, speaking of God, I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God's people are forgiven people. And, and, and you need to live that and rejoice in that and live like a person who belongs to God. Don't spend another week, month, year saying, I wonder if I'm saved. I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I don't know. If you want to be wearied in your mind, live like that. You will certainly find that wearisome. But if God has forgiven you, You have obeyed the gospel, and you're committed to him and to his cause. Live like that and rejoice in being forgiven. How often should I do that every day? You know, you wake up and we say sometimes, how you doing? I hear people more and more, more and more. I I, I shake a Christian's hand, and I hear, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Yes, you are. Some Christians are now adding, I'm blessed and highly favored. And Christians are talking like that. Okay, fine. At least you know. We are blessed. And if not us, who? If the Christians aren't blessed, then who is? You aren't blessed just because you say it. You're blessed because of Jesus. And if you're in him, then you're blessed. How do I keep from being weary? I live like that. I keep rejoicing in my forgiveness. Keep living a sanctified life. That's chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. How often did Christ have to die? Once. How often did he sanctify it? Once. Verse number 10 says, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's what the Bible says. Keep remembering the faithful. That's chapter 11. Look back at the cloud of witnesses. Keep living like that. Remember them. They did it. You can do it. Keep doing what we've already read, chapter 12, verse 1 and verse number 2. How can I keep from being wearied in my mind and lose heart? And that's what happens to some Christians. I just gave up. I got so tired, and I got so downtrodden, and I got so weary, and I just gave up. And you know what they do sometimes? They say, and nobody helped me. And nobody came for me. Now I do want you to understand that the Bible teaches we should care one for another. I do want you to understand that. Bible is very clear here. Galatians six one and two, and a host of other passages. Bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfil the law of Christ. Be kind one to another. Ephesians four thirty two. And you could go on listing scriptures about Christian responsibility one to another. But friends, listen. You are mistaken. You are mistaken if you read the words of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 3 for consider him who has endured his hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You are mistaken if you outsource that. If you try to pin that on other Christians then you're mistaken. I'm not trying to remove the responsibilities one to another, but nobody can cause you to grow weary in your mind but you. Nobody can cause you to lose heart but you. That responsibility is yours, and there is no outsourcing that. How do I keep from losing heart? Start with me again at verse number 1 and do all of these things in chapter 12. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that… You will not grow weary and lose heart. I beg you and urge you, have you focused on your steadfastness for 2024? You can find me. I hope that's what you're saying. You can find me closer to Jesus than I am today, not further away. I am focused on my steadfastness to our King. Number seven, and finally, Focus on the reality that things could get worse. You know what he says to this audience? You and I had gone back to the first century. I'll let you back to the 21st. Century. I'll let you back. But we're in the first century. You know what he would write to us? He would write verse number four. You have not yet resisted to the point of blood. Not yet. In your striving against sin. You know who had resisted the blood? Those people in Hebrews 11. Many of them had resisted the blood, but you haven't. You know who else has resisted the blood? You know who else did that? Jesus did. What they had not yet done, Christ had already done. He suffered, he bled, and he died. The scourging he received is affectionately referred to as the little death. Before there is a cross, some would say they took him as close as they could get him to death. Blood from his head, his back, his side, he certainly bled. But it's not simply that Jesus bled. See, he's not simply exhorting them to just bleed. That's not what he's doing. And he says it hasn't happened yet, but it probably will. But it's how you do that is where your focus is on Jesus. Jesus shed his blood and he was innocent. Jesus shed his blood for the very people that was causing him to bleed. He shed his blood to purchase their salvation. The very salvation that some of the saints were contemplating giving up, having not yet resisted the blood, is the very salvation that was purchased by blood that Jesus shed. And he did it while saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus has never asked us to do anything he didn't do. He's never gone place and sent us anyplace he didn't go. In fact, he told anybody and everybody who would hear, if you follow me and choose to be my disciple you will suffer for my name's sake." He didn't wait to say that. The very first time, he sat down and opened his mouth. After telling them why they would be blessed, Matthew 5, 3 through 9, he tells them in verse number 10, "'Blessed are you when men will revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Things could get worse. Have you focused on the reality that things could get worse? But no matter what happens, Please don't let it remove you from Jesus. Thank God we get to enter a new year. Nothing will help us more than the focus on Christ. He is our perfect example of faith. He suffered. He endured. He overcame. He reigns. He rules. And he is ready to help. Read one more passage with me and listen to what the Hebrew writer says about Jesus back in chapter 2. It was the very purpose for his coming, and why he would exhort what he does in chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14, the writer says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So, he's going to destroy him, and then verse 15 says, And deliver them, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. But verily he took not on him the form of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself had suffered being tempted. He is able to help those who are tempted. The saints were suffering. The writer says, focus on Jesus. He can help you through it because he went through it. You're not a Christian this morning. It would be a wonderful way to start the new year with Jesus course that would be a great decision anytime to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe you've been coming and attending and hearing the gospel and maybe you have thought about it and worked on it and considered it. Why don't you let today be your day where you manifest and demonstrate you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you at last make up your mind to repent to change your heart and your mind and to confess the name of Jesus and to be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. Let him wash you clean. Let him make you whole. Let him make you a new creation. Let him give you a new life and a new race to run. Let him reserve your name in heaven. Maybe you are his child, and maybe like many, you have limped to the end of the year. Maybe at last you think, okay, at last we turn the calendar on this thing and it'll be better. Maybe you need to lay aside some sin and some weight, and if that's the truth, then don't carry it another day. If you need to repent, give yourself a fresh start. Make things right with God. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come. The elders are always ready. I'll add one more thought. You know, maybe... Maybe the public assembly is a lot for some people. Maybe you just don't want to come down front and have everybody look at you. But grab one of the elders. Grab them as we dismiss. Talk to them in private. The elders will help. We'll do all that we can to assist you in any way we can. If we can help you, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.